Good morning, everyone. How are you? It's great to see your beautiful faces out there. Welcome to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Here are your announcements. Um, If you look at your bulletin, some of them are there. Scanning the QR code, which is on the front of the worship guide, allows you to connect to all other information about our church, the giving of tithes and offerings, along with social media and platforms all in one place. Guests, please click on the menu item for first-time guests. At the Village Church, we believe giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. You may give to the vision and mission of the church online. You may mail a check to our address at 2103 Virginia Boulevard. Or after the service, there's a little box back there that you can place your offering. Um, Today after worship, uh, Teague Village Group at 11 a.m. in the church house. We'll be sharing a meal at 6 p.m. tonight. There is leadership training for those involved with that. Um, this coming week on Thursday, the Shipman Men's Group will meet at Just Love Coffee at 7 in the morning. And then um, that afternoon at 5, the Goodson Men's Group and in the church house. Next Sunday, we will celebrate communion together. And uh, after the service, the Goodson Village Group will share a meal in the church house. Um, A few upcoming things. The Juneteenth cookout is on Saturday, uh, June 17th from 11 to 2. So we hope that you um, put that on your calendars and make uh, time to be out here and serve our community in that way. Um, Men's Ministry Fellowship Time on Wednesday, June 21st at 6 p.m. in the church house. And um, there are going to be some women's ministry summer socials. So uh, for 10 weeks this summer, we'll have socials on various days at various places around town as a fun way to get to know each other better and have some fun. So check your email this week uh, for a flock note with sign-up locations, days, times. And Amanda, raise your hand. If you have any specific questions, you can see Amanda, and she would love to chat about her vision for this. So thank you. Um, Let's see. I think that's all. So these are your TVC announcements. Please. Govern yourselves accordingly. Good morning. I'm here subbing for patients as she takes some time to soak in the Lord and have a little retreat time this weekend. So I appreciate your patience with me as I lead you. I, I will. Um, I will do my best. But one of the things that I really loved about when I first came here is that we started off with um, this song of preparation, which I've never really had in any church context I've been in before, but I have really enjoyed because, I mean, my kids are older now, but especially when they were younger, I felt like I needed a song of preparation at the start of church because, you know, it's the bustle of getting here and getting everybody ready and getting out the door, and I probably snapped at someone. or so. It's just nice to just take a minute and prepare your heart, sing a song to the Lord, concentrate on Him. Um, so we're going we're gonna to do that together. Um, we're going to sing this together before the throne of God above. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads 
Psalm 68, 32 through 35. I'm going to read the leader portion and then it'll have people and we'll all do that section together. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord. 
To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be to God. Amen. You don't mind putting your hands together for me? I'd really appreciate it.
Delilah is going to come up and share a, a bunch of different information with us this morning. Thank you so much, uh, Tish, for leading us in worship. And I didn't know you had that voice in you. I had no idea. And uh, Chris and Southern, thank you all for um, leading us as well in our music. And uh, your, your, your daughter, Faith. Thank you, Faith, so much. Uh, for those that do not know Faith, I mean, she is a um, wonderful young lady that's on fire for Jesus. I found that out recently, and I got a chance to speak with her after someone had uh, assured me that was the case. And so, so glad to have you all take, uh, help patients get a vacation. Uh, I'm going to lead us in confession of sin. And uh, we'll, I'll, I will be with you all all the way down uh, to the prayer of supplication. Um, <clears throat> Hosea 10:13 says, You have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies. Because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your words. Let us go to God and silently repent uh, for our sins. Let us spend time silently meditating over God's grace and mercy in our life in spite of our sins. Now receive this assurance of pardon from Romans 5, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access to faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Amen. Amen. If you all would turn with me to our scripture uh, reading is in Hosea uh, chapter 10 verses 9 through 15. And if you're able, uh, would you please stand uh, as I read God's word? Hosea chapter 10 verses 9 through 15. From the days of Gibeah, you have sinned, O Israel. There they have continued, 
Shall not the war against the just overtake them in Gibeah? When I please, I will discipline them, and the nations shall be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity. Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck. And I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow. Jacob must herald for himself. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed iniquity. Thus you have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies. Because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. Therefore, the tumult of war shall arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be destroyed. As Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle, mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel. Because of your great evil, at dawn, the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. Thanks. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I would like to uh, thank you all uh, so much for this uh, opportunity, uh, Pastor Alex and the the leadership here to talk to you all about, uh, I, I can say now, our, all right, our fourth annual Juneteenth Community Cookout. Uh, now, for those that don't know, uh, this started off in 2020, this summer of 2020, 2020, 2021, yeah, all right. Uh, with me, uh, if you all remember, that's when COVID started shutting things down, uh, that March of that year. And what a lot of people started doing was supporting uh, small businesses the best they could, so they was eating out a lot. We was eating out a lot, and uh, I realized how much money I was losing with my family. So what I decided to do was to invest in a grill, and I put the grill on my porch, and I had a very free summer because summer camp was virtual that year, all right? And so I said, I'm going to feed me my family and the kids that was coming to the church almost every day during the summer that year. And so I would put on as much hot dogs and burgers as I could for each day, and we would eat. And the mailman would stop by. The FedEx drivers, would, they would drive by. They would come get some steak off the grill uh, with permission. I, I gave it to them. They didn't just take it. Uh, chicken. And uh, I got a chance to develop. So what, what happened was uh, my wife and I, we had uh, already been discussing Juneteenth before it became well known as a federal holiday. Uh, a lot of people actually had in some ways observed it, maybe in their own small ways. And I said, I know what I want to do. I want to try to feed the entire community, invite police officers. You remember this very tense time, and uh, invite first responders and first line workers. I said, I'm gonna feed as many people can come. My wife's like, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Uh, it wasn't that big of a grill, if you guys know, and uh, I didn't really have money to do this. And I said, I'm gonna do it. I'm ambitious like that. All right, I do things. I seldom do things that I cannot do. Well, what happened was, as I started advertising and asking for support. The Village Church was the first uh, first entity all right, to say, we want to we be, get behind you on this. How can we help? 
And uh, then I started receiving uh, donations from literally all across America. I had money coming in from people that lived in California, all the way to New York, helping to support this. And then uh, one of the seminaries that I teach at, Birmingham Theological Seminary, said, we want to come up, help you cook. We want to bring another grill, and we want to uh, see how we can help financially. And then I have a good friend, as uh, you all see on your flyer now, named Deke uh, Deke Damson, uh, who used to be over the Honda dealership that said, I want to support as well. Well, now, uh, fast forward, because I now know for sure, uh, through the leadership of these uh, entities, that uh, we have support, uh, and I've turned it over really to say this is a church, this is our thing now as a church and not just me trying to do this. Uh, I'm able to say that we have uh, sponsors that are on the flyers. We have official signs. I had a graphic designer. That in the past, I would have to stay up late at night the day before and get some poster board from Dollar Tree and try to make these beautiful signs. And they were wonderful, y'all. They were wonderful. They were, I mean, I mean, if you knew my skills and you saw the, the result, you would say that is excellent, all right? Uh, but I have a graphic designer now, uh, uh, and so uh, she created the flyers, she created the banners, she created, we're going to have a flag out, and we're going to have road signs out. And so I didn't have to worry about that this year. Uh, we're also going to have uh, two bounce houses for the event. Uh, I was able to, uh, the young lady that supported our uh, church picnic, uh, she also gave us a really good deal on two bounce houses for this event. And this is all because the Village Church, and again, I want to acknowledge the sponsors, uh, Damson Family Fund and Birmingham Theological Seminary say we want to make this bigger and we want to make this as, as best as we can. So that is that. Well, uh, the question comes around now. This is the time for the question from the Village Church, which is how can we help? How can we help? This is going to sound uh, too simple to be true, but this is the best way you all can help. There's going to be, uh, on social media, on Facebook, there's going to be, from my page, Lyle Lee, if you don't know my name, uh, there's going to be an um, event created on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook, say whether or not you're going to attend the event, and whether or not you're coming or plan to come, share the event. The second way is you have uh, flyers on both the Village Church's uh, website and my website on Facebook. The best way to support is to share it. And then lastly, everyone should have gotten, or if you don't, there's more in the back, uh, a a paper invitation. So what I want you to do is remind yourself of the occasion and then give it to someone, a family, a friend, a co-worker, or someone in your neighborhood. So really the best way you can help support this this year is to help advertise it. And that comes through inviting your neighbors. So even if you live 20, 30 minutes away, invite, just invite them and just see if they'll come. Uh, we have no problem with the food. We have plenty of food. We have no problem getting rid of the food. Uh, each year in the past uh, three years that we've done it, we've been able to go to the uh, Leakin uh, Park area over here off of Washington, and we've been able to give people food who weren't able to go to certain events, and we've been able to go to Tent City and help uh, uh, feed the homeless with the leftover food. We just don't want too much leftover food. So invite your neighbors, coworkers, and social media. That is the biggest and best way. That's the best way you can help support. And then lastly, uh, well, okay, two more things. There will be a sign-up genius that will go out. Cynthia will send it out. Uh, And that is, again, it's purely if you say, I want to do something more than uh, then, 
uh, help set up. I want to do something more than uh, come and eat with you all. I may want to purchase a box of chips. I, wanna, I may want to buy a, bo- a, a, a pack of water. Whatever it is you want to do, you will see it in the sign-up genius. It will also give you the opportunity to serve. So if you want to come, set tents up, or if you want to be one of the people to prepare the food, that's going to be an option as well on there. So, uh, so that is the best way you can help uh, as well. And then lastly, <coughs> I plan this year. Uh, in the past, I just it's been hard for me to do uh, with surgeries and things. Uh, but I'm about almost a year from my knee surgery. I'm feeling much better. I plan to invite on my own the majority of uh, of this community uh, by either walking or driving around, especially to the apartment complexes. But I will, because some of you all really enjoy doing this, I will leave this street open until uh, next Sunday because that's the last Sunday we have before Juneteenth. So next Sunday, immediately after church, I will walk the street and hand out flyers to the houses on this street only, not, not the other adjacent uh, areas. And so if you would like to walk that with me, that's another way you can help. Do not feel like you have to. This is not a church. Uh, this is not Alex saying, hey, Lyle, will you please ask me to join you on this? I'm just letting you know I plan to do it myself this year, and I'm going to give you the opportunity on Sunday after church to walk with me. So those are the main ways. Share the information on social media or directly or personally with your neighbors, uh, co-workers, and friends. All right? <clears throat> Look at the sign-up genes when it goes out and see if there's extra ways you want to help with the load. And then lastly, uh, if you want to, you can walk with me on Sunday just the street alone. I would have already taken care of the uh, surrounding areas. All right? All right, great. And you do look good. Uh, I know it's already been brought up, but you, you guys look beautiful. I don't think he said, did he say beautiful? Did you say beautiful? Oh, it's not adequate, man. They're beautiful. They're beautiful today. All righty. <laughs> I'm going to uh, now prepare us uh, uh, for our song of reflection and our sermon by going to God uh, with a prayer of supplication. I'm going to first read a uh, prayer by uh, John Chrysostom and then... Afterwards, I will continue the prayer, and, uh, and, and you guys can join me in amen at the end. Uh, join me in prayer of supplication. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplications to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will grant their request. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the age to come life everlasting. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to come together and worship your name, to sing songs of praise to your name, to pray prayers of petitions and moanings and pain and hope, prayers of joy and praise, uh, prayers of repentance to you. Father, I thank you for all those that are here professing your name. And for those that do not know you, I pray that you will enlighten them, that you will reveal yourself to them, that you will show that you are the one true God and that Jesus Christ is our only Savior and our only hope in this, in this life to, uh, that we live. That he is our only hope to receive 
everlasting life and the life to come. Father, in this world that has brought about much darkness, in this world that has brought about that has brought about much ancient uh, thoughts, much painful uh, feelings, in a world that has brought about anger, depression, we know that you are that bright morning star. We know that you are that hope that we must hold on to as we continue to live day by day. Father, in this world that has constant change, we know that your hand is unchanging and that your authority and your power and your sovereignty is everlasting. And we hold on to that truth. Father, we pray that you will hear our prayers for those that are sick, for those that are struggling financially. We pray that you will have mercy on us, that you will heal our bodies, that you will give us uh, the means that is needed to have our daily bread. And Father, let us not waste this life by merely seeking comfort, seeking pleasure from this world. But Father, let us live a life of service to you and your kingdom, bringing others to you, helping provide others' needs, and Father, revealing to all that we come in contact with your truth that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Be with Pastor Alex and his family. Be with the leadership here. I thank you for them. And I thank you for each person here that is a part of this family. Remind us that in Christ alone is our hope. Now give Alex, uh, the, give Pastor Alex the, the power, the authority, the courage, the boldness needed to bring forth your word. In Christ's name, amen. When Faith was little, she went through a, a season of just wondering, is God really real? I know that you teach me this stuff, but is, is he really real? I have these moments of doubt. Um, she was pretty small, but she asked pretty big questions. And... Um, as a family, we, I don't remember if it was the top of Cecil Ashburn or Montesano, but we went up so we could look down and see the city and see just that beautiful view. And um, I was like, look at all that, honey. Look at all that he has made. When you have moments, you're going to have moments of doubt. You're human. You're going to have moments of doubt. But when you have those moments, Get out there and look at all that he has made because it really helps you put in perspective how big he is, how amazing he is, and how real he is. Um, we went on vacation this last week and we were walking the Brooklyn Bridge and just to see all those lights at night of Manhattan and just thinking that all those lights are, you know, almost representative of all the people that are in this place and that he is great over all of it. You know, it's a, you feel so small in the midst of all that bigness that he is even bigger still and more in control. And the fact that he loves us 
in the midst of all of that. It is an amazing, great thought. So if you don't mind standing and singing this old hymn with me and just considering his awesomeness, let's do that together. Great thou art, this 
turning on the fan up here in case you're wondering because I'm going to start sweating here in a minute. All right. Well, we sing that hymn, but do we believe it? Do we believe in our heart of hearts how great thou art? Or is it just words that we're singing? So it has to be in our hearts and let it be in our hearts and ask the Holy Spirit to help our unbelief. I was presented with an opportunity one Sunday when I was, one Sunday evening when I was 13 years old. I had an opportunity to be patient or impatient. I had an opportunity to do the right thing or to do the wrong thing. You see, I wanted my mom to take me to get a haircut on that particular Sunday evening. For school was the next day, and a fresh haircut was needed. And my mom said no. She wasn't going to take me. I had to wait until uh, someday during the upcoming week. And boy, I didn't like that decision. Anger and frustration rose up in me like, like waves in the sea. And remember now, I was presented with an opportunity. This is opportunity for me as a 13-year-old. I could be patient, and, or I can be impatient. I could do the right thing or do the wrong thing. I chose the latter. I was impatient, and I did the wrong thing. I, an inexperienced 13-year-old, decided to cut my own hair. <laughs> I had no clue what I was doing. I was just mad, and I wanted my hair cut. So I got the clippers, and I went into the bathroom, and I plugged them into the outlet, and I turned them on, and I started cutting my overgrown hair without a clipper guide. And if you are a barber, you know you got to have guys on the clipper. And y'all, what I did to my hair that Sunday evening was a massacre. <laughs> it was a crime scene, and I jacked myself up. It was horrible. When I looked in the mirror, I realized mistakes were made, and I made them. My siblings, they laughed at me, and they ran and told my mom what I did, and, and my mom was so upset, but she was merciful. Do you know why she was merciful? She could have sent me to school <laughs> looking like that, but she had grace, and she let me go stay at my grandmother's house, and, and, I, and so I stayed there, and when she got off work, she took me to to the barber, and when the barber took off my hood, he was like, boy, what did you do to your hair? <laughs> and so I had a bald head for two weeks, all because I was impatient and I did the wrong thing. Have any of you ever been presented with such an opportunity to be patient or impatient, to do the right thing or to do the wrong thing? The people of Israel, they were presented with such an opportunity, an opportunity to be patient or impatient, an opportunity to do the right thing or to do the wrong thing. CBC Saints, I want to invite you to open your Bible or your Bible app to Hosea chapter 10. The text this morning is verses 9 through 15. That's Hosea chapter 10, verses 9 through 15. Disregard the title that's in your worship guide. So that title has changed. And that title, the new title is Do the Right Thing. 
do the right thing. The big idea is this. The Lord God gives his people the opportunity to do the right thing or to do the wrong thing. He gives his people the opportunity to do what's right or to do what's wrong. But do we believe it? Please join me in asking the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of the word. Holy Spirit, you are our counselor, our helper, the deposit that guarantees our future inheritance. That when Jesus ascended, you descended, and that you came at Pentecost in Acts 2. And now for those of us who have saving faith in Christ, you supernaturally live in all of us. And you have not lost your ability to lead and to shepherd us and to counsel us and to lead us into all truth. So as our advocate, as our helper, as our counselor, will you please minister to our hearts, to our minds, to us holistically. That you would take the word and apply it to the places in our life that need to hear it. For our good, Holy Spirit, and for the glory of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. The people, like I said, the people of Israel is presented with an opportunity to do the right thing or to do the wrong thing. And Yahweh Elohim, that is God's covenant-keeping name, he is the one who presents them with this opportunity long before the book of Hosea. It's an opportunity that just isn't presented to the people by God. He also trains them. For this opportunity, he trains them. He and he when he's and when he's done training them, he expects them to do what is right and not what's wrong. In verse eleven, God reflects on this past opportunity, and one scholar says Yahweh is recalling what he said to the Israelites when he chose them and sent them to work in the land of Canaan. He recalls this past opportunity. With farming imagery, he's a farmer, his people are farm animals. Look at verse 11a. He says, Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh. He recalls this past through Hosea, and now he, Hosea is sharing this with the current Israelites in the northern kingdom. Ephraim, or Israel, was a trained farm animal who loved to threshing crops under their feet. Now I have a question for y'all. Are cows, helpers, or oxen born knowing how to thresh crops? Are they born knowing how to do that? Are they born knowing how to plow a field? Are they born knowing how to wear a yoke? Was your house pet born knowing how to be a house pet? You have to train them. You have to train them. The same is true for, for farm animals. They have to be trained, instructed, and taught by a farmer. The, and farm animals have to learn. And there's a process to that learning. In the booklet, Farming with Animal Power, it describes this process. It provides steps on how to train an oxen. I didn't know all this stuff. I, I didn't grow up on a farm, so I learned this week. First step is the farmer and the oxen must get used to each other. 
the two must become friends. Think about that. The farmer must be a good farmer for the animal. Second, the farmer has to teach the oxen to wear the yoke. You have to teach the oxen how to wear the yoke. The booklet says to get young oxen used to a yoke, you put that ox with one that is already trained, and they end the yoke together. So the, the untrained one learns from the one that's trained. Third, the farmer has to train the oxen to walk in straight lines side by side. And then fourth, the farmer has to train them to walk while dragging something. And fifth, the oxen have to learn simple commands. So the farmer has to teach them words that tell them to go forward, to turn right, to turn left, to stop, and to back up. Please notice the role the farmer plays in this training process. It's a vital role. The farm animals don't train themselves. That's an amen statement. Do I need, please, God. Y'all should know by now when, I'm, when I hit an amen statement. The farm animals don't train themselves. It takes a good farmer to train oxen without abusing them and hurting them. The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, is like a good farmer in the way he trains and instructs and teaches his people. Look at verse 11b. In the NIV Bible, it says, I spared their fair neck. To me, that translation is not very clear. I don't know what that means. And so I found some other translations. For example, the New American Standard Bible says, I will come over her neck with a yoke. The New English translation says, I myself put a fine yoke on her neck. And Professor Felipe Ramirez's translation says, I laid a yoke on her good neck. TBC Saints and Guests, please understand that this particular yoke is not judgment. I know it reads that way in some of your translations, but that's not what's happening here. It's not punishment. This yoke is good. Yahweh, the Lord himself, places himself over the neck of his people. It's his yoke. He's teaching them how to wear it. Remember, Ephraim was a trained calf, and they did not train themselves. When he called them out of Egypt, out of slavery, he had to teach them how to be his people. Didn't it come out knowing what to do? He had to teach them every step of the way. He trains them like a good farmer. And after putting the yoke on their neck, he says, he harnesses Ephraim. But what in the world is a harness? Well, a harness, again, I did a lot of learning. I still don't know how to farm, but I did a lot of learning. A harness is a set of straps used to fasten oxen to a plow, controlled by a driver. So Yahweh Elohim, he's preparing his people to be able to work in the land of Canaan. That's what he's doing. He places his yoke around their neck. Then he harnesses them to a plow so that they can work their land together. Look at verse 11c. He says, I shall harness Ephraim. Judah must plow. Jacob must harrow for himself. The verbs to plow and to harrow are two farming tasks done by oxen. 
The farmer assigns the responsibilities to them. But what does it mean to plow? What does it mean to harrow? Again, I'm not a farmer, nor I'm a son of a farmer, so I had to do some research. Plowing and harrowing are both involved in preparing soil for planting. Both are used when tilling the earth. The plow is primary, the, the harrow is secondary. Both are used in turning the top layer of the soil over, but yet there's a difference in how they do it. According to Track the News, if you want to, again, learn more about this stuff, you can go to trackthenews.com. The plow is used for turning and breaking up the soil to bury crop residue and to control weeds. It's the primary operation in the field to cultivate any crop. It also um, tills the soil to a greater depth than the harrow. As a result, lumps of soil remain after their operation. So after you plow, then you come back with the harrow. It's used to break up the soil and to smooth it out. So the harrow is used to smooth the ground surface to break up the lumps of left over from the plowing. TBC Saints, Israelites are to plow and to harrow the land in Canaan for their good and for Yahweh's glory. They, they are, he's, they're being prepared to sow the soil in the land of Canaan, tilling the soil deeply, uprooting the roots, smoothing the, the ground surface, and covering the seeds with soil. And so here is what God is recalling in verse 11. He's recalling the conquest of Canaan in these verses. That's what he's recalling. That's the opportunity that, that he presented to the Israelites generations ago. And that's what he's training and preparing them to do. And the conquest of Canaan can either be done the right way or the wrong way. They have the opportunity to do the right thing or do the wrong thing. In Canaan. I um, lost my place. All right, here we go. Two more questions I have for y'all. Are oxen left to plow and to harrow the land alone without the farmer? Is the farmer's work done after he's done training? No. The farmer is still present with them as they do their work. And the same is true for the Israelites. The presence of the Lord will be with them during the conquest as they go into the promised land. He's going to be with them. But how will he be with them? That's a great question. There's a tool ancient farmers used to pry oxen and to guide them where they're meant to go. Who knows the name of that tool? It's called an ox goad. That's G-O-A-D. An ox goad is a wooden tool about eight feet long with a pointy end. And the tool is used to spur oxen along as they pull a plow. So Yahweh's presence with the Israelites would be like that. He's not sending them into the land of Canaan to plow and to harrow the land without him. He's not sending them there without further guidance and instruction and direction and even correction. See, Yahweh's arch goal is Moses. It's Joshua. It's his word. It's his law. It's the festivals. 
the sacrimonial system, and the ceremonial system. It's the priesthood. It's the prophets. It's good judges. It's good leaders. It's good kings. And it's even worship. That's how. And y'all, the Israelites are given everything they need to do the right thing in the land of Canaan. Just like we're given everything we need to do the right thing today. The Lord graciously gives them everything they need to sow rightness in the land and not wrongness. Verse 12 says, in, in verse 12, the Lord re- recalls the rightness he wants the Israelites to sow, to weep, and to till. Listen to these instructions he gives. He says, sow for yourselves righteousness. Weep steadfast love. Break up your unplowed ground. These are three imperatives given to the, to the Israelites of old. To sow, to weep, to till. They're to sow for themselves righteousness in the land. They're to plant seeds of righteousness in every area of their life, in every corner of the land of Canaan. And, and what would come when they sow this righteousness? They will weep steadfast love, which is faithfulness and loyalty. Scholar Philippe Ramirez says, the virtues of righteousness and steadfast love are to be guidelines that govern the actions of the people. And till for yourselves that untilled soil stresses the people's accountability for their own actions. Hebrews saints against the Israelites are sent to the land of Canaan to cultivate it with righteousness and steadfast love. Just like we are sent to where we are to cultivate the same thing. So what does this mean? This is loving God and loving people. Loving God, loving people. It's walking faithfully before their Lord and it's acting justly towards others. This is Micah 6, 8. He has told you, oh man, what is good. What does God require you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he's talking about here. This is God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. He says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and and, and him who dishonor you I will curse. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, Mr. Saints. The Israelites are to be a light to the nations, not to become like the nations. The same promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis is, is, is still is, is to be lived out with Israel in the new promised land. Why do you think he's sharing this historical opportunity with the, the northern kingdom through Hosea? He wants the current Israelites to remember his sovereign good hand that has always been over the Israelites despite their failures. He wants them to remember the ways that he has provided, to remember the ways that he has instructed and and, and taught them, to remember his goodness and his faithfulness, to remember how he cares for them, even how he disciplines them. And there's a purpose here. And there's a purpose, and this purpose is, is expressed in Romans 2, 4. 
The kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. The kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. When you read everything that the Israelites been uh, history, you will see the kindness of God at every step of the way. Every step of the way. Every step of the way. Do you know when God made his promise to Abraham? Him and Abraham cut a covenant. And in the, in, in the Old Testament, when you cut a covenant, you sacrifice animals. And what, you, what they do is they put the pieces of these animals on one side and one of the other pieces on this side. And the people who's entering the covenant, they walk through the pieces together. And what that symbolizes is saying, if I break this covenant, then may what happened to these animals happen to me. Now, do you know what happened when God did this with Abraham? Who walks between the pieces of animals? Yahweh. Abraham was asleep. And Yahweh is saying, if I don't come through on my promise, May I, the God, the creator of the universe, may someone come and just cut me apart if I fulfill, fulfill to fulfill my promise to you. And Abraham didn't go through because God knew what? Uh, Abraham ain't going and can't hold up his end of the deal. <laughs> so God has still been faithful to them. Remember it. This is this is this, this is also is expressed in Second Peter three. Peter says. The Lord is slow. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but all should reach repentance. So in light of verses 11 through 12, Hosea once again extends an invitation of repentance to the northern kingdom, that they might be healed. Look at verse 12d. For it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon us. He is telling them right now, in light of what, what, what I'm telling you, seek the Lord. That is him saying, repent, confess, return home, and let him rain upon you his righteousness. But as we know, the northern kingdom keep refusing to confess and repent. Just like their forefathers. Just like the Israelites of old who left the conquest incomplete. We, we do realize they didn't complete the conquest. It was left incomplete. They did, who did the wrong thing instead of doing the right thing. Who, who, who sowed who wrongness in the land instead of rightness. The Israelites of old and the current ones did not sow righteousness, and they did not weep steadfast love. The actual result of their work is presented in verse 13. Look at verse 13. It says, you have plowed iniquity. You have weeped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of wild. These words are historically true for the Israelites. The Israelites are old, plowed iniquity. Weep injustice and ate the fruit of lies. If you were here last week, I, I preached about how the fear of King Jeroboam I led him to sow the seeds of his own destruction in the seeds of the destruction of the northern kingdom. 
his failure to do the right thing 200 years earlier finally catches up with the ten tribes of the northern kingdom in Hosea. But now all the blame cannot be on Jeroboam I. The problems in the northern kingdom were problems among the Israelites while they were still nomads. They, they, they were problems before the kingdom divided. They were problems among the Israelites before they became a nation with a monarchy. Look at verse 9. It says, from the days of Gibeah, you have sinned, O Israel. There they have continued. Should not war against the unjust overtake them at Gibeah. The sin of Gibeah would cause Israel's rebellion and immorality since the time of Judges. And the events that, that is referred to here are recorded in Judges 19 through 21. Who knows how the book of Judges ends? It has one verse. In verse 25, verse chapter 21, verse 25. Who knows how the book of Judges ends? It ends this way. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Please understand something. Doing what's right in one's own eyes is usually sin in the eyes of God. Notice what the Lord says about his people since the days of Gibeah. He says, there they have remained. Think about that. They never stopped doing, they, they have never done what's right. They have never stopped rebellion and worshiping idols. They have never stopped rejecting him. And so when you look at all of what they've done, you realize God is so merciful because he's been faithful to his promises. So in verse 13, it's also presently true of the current Israelites. They are just like their ancestors. They are continuing the same rebellion and injustice. And so in verse 13 it says, you are plowing iniquity. You are weeping injustice. You are eating the fruit of lies. And as a result, God says in verse 10, when I please, I would discipline them. Nations shall gather against them when they are bound up for a double iniquity. What is going on with that verse? That's judgment. You see, war with the Assyrian Empire is how God is going to discipline the northern kingdom so they continue refuses to confess and repent of the double iniquity. So what's this double iniquity? First, it's idolatry. And I preached on that last week. The Lord is going to break up their false idols and their false worship. And when he breaks their idols, look at verse 5 of chapter 10. Look at what it says. It says, the people will mourn their idolatry when he takes it away. When you ask God to break your idols, it's going to hurt. So be careful by asking that prayer. And some idols that he breaks, we're going to mourn for them. Some of us will mourn for some of the idols that God will break in our lives. Because they're going to hurt. The second iniquity is what one, us, one scholar calls arrogant political and military establishment. You see, the north, how long was the northern kingdom in existence before they went into exile? How many years? Who knows? 208 years. 208 years. And in that 208 years, they had 19 kings with nine different dynasties in those 208 years. 
How many of those 19 kings were good kings? This is congregation participation time. How many were good? They had 19 total, 208 years. How many of them were good kings in the northern kingdom? Zero. 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 All 19 kings of the northern kingdom did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord God. All 19. And that's why Hosea says what he says in verse 3. He's like speaking for the people. He says, for now they should say, we have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. And a king, what could he do for us? If you had 19 evil kings for 208 years, you would say that too. What can a king do for us? Nothing. Because evil kings aren't interested in leading their people well. All they care about is maintaining their power and position. So the Israelites can't expect anything good from their evil king. They never had good leadership. What they had is God still moving and, and providing in the midst of the evil king. All that history is covered in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. It's all there. So what do these kings do? These kings are guilty of arrogant politics. They swear falsely and they enter treaties with foreign countries. That's their sin. Look at verse 4. They here are the kings. They other mere words. With empty oaths they make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. And next, these kings are guilty of trusting in military establishment. That's what you see in verse 13. It says, you trusted in your own way in the multitude of your warriors. Listen, the, the citizens don't put warriors together. That's the monarchy. That comes for the king. So the king is trusting in his own way. The monarchy trusts in their own way. They're trusting in the military. It's not Yahweh. And as a result, the monarchy and the current king of the northern kingdom will not escape what's coming. The current king will be dethroned, and he will be imprisoned in Assyria. Verse 7 says, Samaria's king would perish like a twig on a faithful water. And verse 15 says, At the dawn, the king of Israel will be utterly cut off. That's the same person. Who is this king? Hashiach. This is the last king of Israel. And this is the king who is cut off and imprisoned in Assyria. And this history is recorded in 2 Kings 17. 2 Kings 17. Now, I know the logical question that many of us should have is, where is Jesus here? Right? And I said this last week, when you're in prophetic books like Hosea that deal with a lot of judgment, how do you find Christ there? Because we know all the Old Testament points to Christ. So How? How does Hosea 9, 10, verses 9 through 15 point us to Christ? Here's how. King Hoshea points us to a greater king. Okay. Hosea points us to a greater prophet. The continued sin and rebellion of the people of Israel points to a need for a heart, new heart, not just simple external obedience. So where is Jesus? Jesus is found in several places here. First, he's found in verse 11b. It says, the New, the new, the new American Standard says, I will put over her, neck a, over her neck a yoke. TVC Saints, we need a greater yoke. 
No, we need a different kind of yoke. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 25. Chapter 11, verse 25. Let me know when you get there. Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 5. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden. I will give you the rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus is the farmer who does all the right things for us. He plows and hollows in a way that we never could. Why? Because he's the one who perfectly fulfills all the requirements of God's law on our behalf. Everything the people of Israel failed to do, Jesus did. Perfectly. And he suffers in our place for all the wrong things we have done, we are doing, and will do. Jesus is the yoke of Hosea 11, 10, verse 11b. He's your yoke. Where else is he found in Hosea 10? He's found in verse 12. For it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. How does God rain righteousness on us? How does he rain righteousness on us? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He's all in the Old Testament. Just got to know where to look. He is our yoke and he is our righteousness. That is Jesus. And so for us, when we are going out living as beloved sons and daughters in Christ, he has given us all that we need. To live faithfully before him as beloved sons and daughters. He's given it all to us through his finished work of his son and through the Holy Spirit that lives in each and every one of you have faith and faith in Christ. So what, we, so what this means is we can never leave here saying God has not given me what I need. Yes, he has. And much, much more. And he's given that to you in communion. Because remember a yoke, there's usually two oxen in there together. It's can't communion. We do it together in Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being a different kind of yoke. Thank you for being 
the, the righteousness that the Father has reigned upon us, that has been imputed to us through your sacrifice. You, you take away all of our sin, you give us all of your goodness. And so through you, we can live faithfully. Not perfectly, but we can live faithfully through the Spirit who lives in each and every one of us who have saving faith. And I pray for anyone here, young or old, who does not have faith in Christ, who has not made a profession of faith. I pray, Holy Spirit, that maybe something in the Word today or a song or a scripture or a prayer, that maybe you are moving in that person's life. I pray that that person will come and speak with me after the service and we can talk more about what it means to have saving faith in Jesus. I pray, Father, as we go out about our day, that you will watch over us, that you will sustain us. I pray for us as a church, Lord, that you will help us all to love you and to love one another well, keeping short accounts with one another, giving one another the benefit of the doubt, that we'll do all those things for the benefit of our body, but most importantly, for the glory of our God and King. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Saints, will you please stand as we close our service?
the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. It's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. Surely do it. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. I may need to preach on that one, though. 